fake, fake, fakety fake. Hi, I'm Jody. I'm Caitlin. And welcome to Imperial News, where I spend my whole week listening to the far-right podcast Rebel News, then try to restore my depleted mental health with my friend Caitlin. Great. <laughs> this episode will be covering the week of October 28th. How are you, Caitlin? I'm okay. I just moved into a new place, and that's pretty exciting, and we're actually recording uh, at my new place today. Yes, we are. So yeah. it might uh, sound new and exciting in here. It might sound horrible. New- <laughs> just different acoustics. I don't know if there's a standard of horrible or not horrible acoustics. But I feel like there is. Why not? Change is good. Embrace change. Before we get into it today, I just want to say there's going to be no main segment for today's show, in part because... Uh, I feel like since this is the week after the election, Ezra was like, I want to cover every single topic I can think of. So the whole week was just like a barrage of these little uh, vignettes and uh, a lot of details, which compared to last week is, or the last few weeks has been pretty good because the last few weeks have all been clip shows and really annoying. Okay. So hopefully, <laughs> hopefully there's more to get out of this show. It's just uh, a lot of tiny, interesting stories as opposed to anyone that I could go into like a ton of detail. But before we get into it, I also want to do a patron shout out to Ryan Armstrong. And Great. I know Ryan who, who does a, a blog called the Post-Truth Health Blog. And for anyone who's into criticizing alt-meds, or who's pro-vaccine and stuff, uh, Ryan's blog is really cool. So check that out. He also wanted me, I was like, do you want to plug anything else? And then he was like, tell people to read the London Cycling Advisory Committee. And I was like, that seems a bit too local. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Given our audience, but I mean, whatever. So anyone in, some of our audience is from London, Ontario. So if you're from London, Ontario, check out the Cycling Advisory Committee. Uh, and because Ryan is a $5 patron, we're going to give him a shout out every month. And until we get too many to do this for, I've been telling Ryan and Tim that they can plug whatever they want <laughs> once a month and we'll keep doing it. So uh, since the beginning of the month as well, I'm going to shout out again to Tim, who's our other $5 uh, supporter. So Yay, Tim. thank you, Tim and Ryan. And if any of you uh, out there want to support us, uh, please do. I'm still looking for a job, so I mean, right now... Give Jody all <laughs> the jobs. <laughs> I mean, it would be cool if this was a job, but we're nowhere near making it a job. I'm still going to have to find another job, but unless, like, everyone who listens just all of a sudden starts donating five bucks, uh, which is a bit of a stretch. But hey, <laughs> if you want to start donating some money, Why not? I would really appreciate it. And now for the Imperial Roundup. Hello, my rebels. Hello, my rebels. I'm a good boy. I'm a weirdo. All right. So on October 25th, which was the Friday before this week, he started off. So in this episode, he's covering uh, Jessica Yaniv, who we've talked about before. The court case has concluded. But I wanted to play, like, I've never played, there's certain things that he does every show that I've never really played, which is that he often opens up with, like, a pitch to join his premium membership. Oh, okay. So it's, like, a kind of cold open where he, like, gives you a bit of the details of what's going to come in the show, and then gives you the pitch, and then it gets into the show. 
And then he also ends by saying, uh, uh, and uh, keep fighting for freedom is his sign off every single show. I've never played it. That's pretty hilarious. But I've never played the pitch. And I wanted to play it today because it's just a bit weird, but it also give people a sense of what happens every week. Although this one's a bit weird, but here's the pitch. Um, Before I get out of the way and let you get to the podcast, please consider becoming a premium subscriber. You get the video version of the show. <laughs> oh boy, we show you some clips of Yaniva in full flight today. Yeah, you know what? You'll, you you got to get the video version. You just got stuff. You can do that at premium.rebelnews.com. It's eight bucks a month, a bargain at twice the price. All right, folks, here's the podcast. What he's, I mean, the clips he's referring to is the clips we've already seen before of them harassing Yaniva. Yeah. But like the way he laughs about it, like it almost feels artificial. Either artificial or it's like, ah, we harass this woman. <laughs> uh, yeah. And uh, so I just, it caught me off guard. Like, I, I almost like, I was like, what? <laughs> like, the laugh just comes out of nowhere right at the beginning of the show. And so I wanted to share it. That whole, I don't know how he framed it. I was like, it's very disorganized. I'm uncomfortable <laughs> listening to this. Usually, I'll have to say, usually his like setup is a bit better than that one. That one, it was just. It caught me off guard, so I had to play it. But uh, so he gets uh, <laughs> he gets right into the Yaniv case, and he he begins actually. So what happened was uh, the Yaniv uh, Yaniv failed in the Human Rights Tribunal, mm-hmm. uh, and we'll sort of get to to why she failed. But Ezra, as we know, hates the human rights uh, tribunals. He's written a book called uh, Shakedown, I think, which basically is his like the tribunals are all terrible and here's my (laughs) reasons for thinking so so at the beginning of the show he gives this kind of like brief rundown of all the the cases that he can remember off the top of his head that he thinks are crazy and there's one that stuck out and i'm gonna play the clip because when i heard this i was like this can't be correct i remember when i was writing my best-selling book about all these commissions called shakedown I encountered this one case in BC involving a McDonald's restaurant where an employee said she suddenly couldn't wash her hands. A McDonald's employee. She just said she couldn't. And McDonald's actually took her to an allergist and took her to a dermatologist and tried to help her. Look, there's simply no way to work at a fast food restaurant without washing your hands. So they gave her a nice severance and said goodbye, but... She took them to the BC Human Rights Tribunal, and they said that McDonald's was discriminating against her, that she had the human right not to wash her hands, I swear to God, and she won 50 grand. And more than that, the Human Rights Tribunal actually ordered McDonald's not to force anyone else to wash their hands in the same circumstance. <laughs> I am certain that McDonald's ignored those idiots, but that is how Did you fact check this? the Human Rights Tribunal is in BC. So like, yeah, the only, I mean, because he ends that by going, it's clear that McDonald's didn't listen to the Human Rights Tribunal did, but then I was like, there's no way that a court would rule that you don't have, like if you complain, you don't have to wash your hands at McDonald's. So I was like, there's got to be way more to this There's case. a health and safety act, too, that you have to you right. do have to wash your hands in between so many prepping meals for hygienic purposes and to prevent disease and contamination. Right. So I just, 
yeah, I don't understand so, why a court would break <laughs> another law. So it makes no sense to me, but okay. No, it doesn't. And like when you break down the court case, it kind of makes sense. So the employee uh, who who this happened to was someone named Binadad. And she worked at McDonald's in BC for 20 years before she came down with dermatitis. And the likely cause was something to do with her job. Although, mm-hmm. like any kind of disease that occurs, it's really hard sometimes to attribute what's the cause. And so for those who don't know, dermatitis is a skin condition that can involve rashes and irritated skin and even blisters and pus and stuff. And so things like frequent washing can irritate it and make yeah, it Yeah, because you're drying up the skin, yeah. Right. So... She uh, obviously uh, was working with McDonald's to to figure uh, what was going on and was seeing a doctor. And the doctor had said that uh, basically that she can't work at a restaurant. That's what the doctor said. And then McDonald's fired her. Now, when she then took them to to court, the reason why, so we have in Canada in our uh, human's rights uh, laws is a duty to accommodate for uh, disabled employees. Yeah, yeah. So if you come uh, with a disability, uh, there has to be a duty to accommodate that person who has the disability within, uh, I guess, what's called like a reasonable undue, circumstances. Yeah, yeah. So long as there's no undue hardship to the employer to figure this out. So then the question comes down to, to what extent did McDonald's try to accommodate her? And to what extent were the things they could have done an undue hardship to McDonald's? And this is sort of how the court came down on that. The first point about whether whether they found reasonable accommod- or, uh, reasonable accommodations, they didn't actually look into anything. And the court said there were so many things you could have gotten her to do, like deal with uh, the drive through and not like handle any of the food. Uh, you could have had a limited wash schedule where she was still washing her hands, but maybe not as frequently and like find some way to work around it. They could have had her hit, uh, in some other capacity, not handling food at the restaurant, right? Like yeah. there's like she could other... have been doing cleaning. Right. There was so many other things that she could have been doing that they didn't even attempt to try to figure out. Uh, the other question then is whether any, or the other thing was uh, finding special gloves that she could wear to, to make this uh more reasonable or whatever and so mcdonald's didn't do anything like that uh and so they concluded uh i do so this is like what the court ruled in their uh document i do not accept that mcdonald's was open to considering what miss dat had to say her suggestions for a possible change in her duties or whether there were any other jobs available that she could perform for example it did not consider if miss dat could perform some of the duties of a swing manager work in the drive-thru, and then perhaps act as a hostess. Taking these steps should not have caused undue hardship. So there was nothing preventing McDonald's to find some way around this. Yeah. So, of course, he he frames this whole thing like the court ruled that you can't wash hands. I want, Yeah, I want to know where it said somewhere in that case that if anyone requests not to wash their hands, then they can't make them. I couldn't find it anywhere. In fact, the only when I was trying to like search keywords, <coughs> the only thing that would come up was his stupid book, Shakedown. <laughs> so, and here's the thing, is like there was an expert on this case, or an excerpt, not expert, Ex- yeah. uh, in McLean's magazine. 
that like went around that people read where it said the same thing. And, and the thing that bothers me about this, it, like I saw this case side by side with that other one that gets, uh, makes the rounds, which is the woman who sued McDonald's for spilling hot coffee on her. Right. As if like there's people out there just willy nilly suing corporations and getting millions of do- dollars. When yeah. it's like, when you look into the hot coffee case, that woman spilled scalding hot coffee on her lap uh she was an elderly woman and had to go through multiple surgeries yeah and it's like and there was no reason for the coffee to be that hot yeah and that's why she like you know all these cases it's easy to ridicule them and then when you take like two seconds to read the court cases it's clear why they came out the way they did the reason why Ezra's talking about these other cases when in the context of the unique case is because he's framing it like, look at how crazy this or the human rights tribunal was. Yeah, he's trying to delegitimize their position. Right. Well, so he's framing it like, look how crazy they are, and even they didn't accept Yaniv's case, right? It was like he used it as a tool to go like, Yaniv was even more crazy, so much more crazy than the tribunal oh is gosh. itself, right? Some like weird move there. Uh, he lies like a child. <laughs> Like, that's such a childish lie. Or, like, someone that's, like, in their adolescence would lie like that. Yeah. <laughs> Yaniv uh, lost her case, and she has to pay back some of the legal fees to the, the people that she was accusing. I think it was up to $6,000. And Ezra describes the judge that made this ruling as crazy and says he's surprised by the ruling, given that she's crazy. And so the ruling is still a problem because this case should have never been considered in the first place. And I find this like reasoning absurd because it's like, I think at the base of the Eve case is an interesting question, even though the reason why it failed to go through had less to do with the, the sort of like theoretical question about like whether it's ethic or like discrimination to decline waxing someone who has... Uh, a specific type of genitalia, right? Yeah. So the reason why she lost had more to do with the fact that the court found that she engaged in what they described as extortionate behavior to some of the women that she was uh, accusing of discrimination, uh, including basically taking on different identities and pushing the boundaries to see to what extent these women will decline service to sort of like catch them uh, in oh, a yeah. way and it was the fact that Yaniv was targeting uh, racial minorities uh, and specifically racial minorities that were working out of their own houses and so this added to an air of it seemed like it came the way that sort of like the ruling read was that it came more it seemed to come more from a place of revenge as opposed to what Yaniv was doing and in that case it, it had like no merit to it like there was other ways that she could have gone about this to make a case a lot stronger. And these are like the reasons why she failed. So again, the right's going to take this as a win as like, this somehow means that transgender people are crazy and we shouldn't take them seriously. But really this has to do with one individual who handled this case poorly. Ezra also wants to say that the transgender community was behind Yaniv. But even we covered that there was many transgender people that felt uncomfortable with the way that Yaniv was uh, taking on this case, specifically yeah. with the fact that it was taking on people who were doing the waxings out of their own home. 
and with the fact that it was seemingly targeting racial minorities. So Ezra's just wrong about all of this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's right that the court ruled a specific way, but he's wrong about how to interpret what this result means. Now I'm going to play a clip, which is Ezra getting into a discussion about the biology well, about biology and gender, just to highlight how stupid he is. And we didn't do this the last time I covered the Unique case, but I'm going to do this going forward, which is that I'm gonna just I'm gonna just blank out the misgendering and uh, the dead naming. Before we got to get into it, I forgot to mention that he begins this clip by reading part of the the ruling. So at the beginning of this clip, this is not. He's so you'll you'll notice he actually says Jessica and he's gonna say use female pronouns and the reason he's doing that is because he's reading the court document. Of course, whenever he speaks for himself, he'll be using uh, the wrong pronouns. Okay. Jessica Yaniv is a transgender woman. All of the respondents operate businesses which offer waxing services. <clears throat> Miss <laughs> Miss Yaniv requested waxing services from each of the respondents. In five cases, she requested waxing of her scrotum. In two, she requests waxing of her arms or legs. In each case, she told the respondent that she was a transgender woman and the respondent refused to provide Miss Yaniv with service. Miss Yaniv says that this refusal to serve her is discrimination on the basis of her gender identity and expression in violation of Section 8 of the Human Rights Code. What's wrong with waxing balls? I'm really confused with this. Like, I would just want to know the lady's reasoning. Does she not wax any balls? So this is, I'm not an esthetician. So I don't... You can wax balls. Well, I know balls can be waxed. All <laughs> waxing services wax balls. So here's, here's... And this is why I think the discrimination question is an interesting thing. So when I'm framing it that I'm not an esthetician, I don't have the particular skill set to know whether there's this, this... So here's the argument that they give, which is that there's a difference in how one waxes. And so you need to be trained for one and... Like to to do the scrotum, so they have, need to be trained in it. But and if they have males coming into their services, like they identify as males, or they're cisgendered males. From what I gather, is these individuals don't do anyone with uh, scrotum penis. Oh, okay, then that's different. Okay, I maybe was just literally I mean, like the thing is like I don't know whether or not that's an absurd or not claim to make. You know what I mean? Yeah, it could that be is that, an like, absurd. Claim, if I'm an, yeah. it could be that that's the case. If you go, there's a wax place in the basement of our university in the UCC, University Community Center. You can go get your balls waxed if you want. Right, but what I don't know is like, do they have staff on hand? That Guess can... what? It's the because... same fucking service <laughs> as getting a vagina waxed. It's called a Brazilian. Well, you I just walk that, in and you so... ask for the service. But here's where Yaniv's case would have been better, is if, if she had store fronts like that, or like chain stores, that were denying her service based on her uh, gender. Yeah, but even in someone's home, like you're still, you still need a business license to operate. You can't just do it freely. Right. Well, then, so, that, but it, there's there's lines here that start getting a bit like gray, like how to what extent uh, should one who doesn't have the backing of the corporation feel safe in a one-on-one -on -one engagement in their house and inviting someone? But then I do agree that you're you become a kind of storefront. And to what extent 
Yeah, you're selectively you, offering yeah. service. You shouldn't be in business. Now you then. can you can selectively office offer service to particular genders. Like that is allowed, which is why you can have things like Women's ladies' only. nights or yeah. like, right. So you can have these kinds of discriminations, but they have to be within reason. And so then the question is whether or not something like this training thing argument that they're making is a legitimate thing. So maybe I should like find an esthetician and be like, is there really a, a like a, such a training difference that... But I would like to know, did this lady go to school and just learn one waxing technique and decide to go open up her own business? Like that doesn't make any sense. And in that case, I would be questioning her abilities to be operating and running a business. But this is why because you don't you go to a sc- yeah. you don't go to a school, pay to learn waxing, but only know how to do one kind of service. That makes no sense to me. But this is why you got to be careful about what the ruling is, because the ruling didn't say that these people didn't discriminate. The ruling was basically they found that Yaniv's conduct in going after this was uh, not right. Okay. Right. And so it, it, it's, it's, but that it's was kind it. of like getting thrown out on a technicality, but she was basically engaging in extortionate behavior. Okay. Which basically ruined her case. Okay. Uh, let's start. It's, it's not Jessica. I suppose we can call ourselves whatever we want to as a free country. I can call myself the, the king of Spain and insist that you call me your highness. But imagine writing all this with a straight face. In five cases, she requested waxing of her scrotum. That's like saying in five cases, the fish requested that its wings be waxed. See, the thing is, fish don't have wings, even if they desperately want them. And women don't have, I'm sorry to get biological here, they don't have the male gear. And if the Human Rights Tribunal pretends that they do, she, her scrotum. Sorry, how, how is that any less nutty than you need? Any less a group of con men than, than he is? Well, the answer is in the very last sentence I quoted you in that very first paragraph. Miss Yaniv says that this refusal to dis- serve her is discrimination on the basis of her gender identity and expression in violation of Section 8 of the Human Rights Code. And you know, that's right. If you pass a law that says people have to provide a service to someone, regardless of their gender identity and expression, if you seriously make that the law, then how is what Yaniv did crazy? I mean, sex is biological. It's a DNA thing. It's a genes thing. You're a man or you're a woman. There are only two options, and it's not a matter of opinion. Gender (laughs) used to simply mean the expression of that sex, girlish things, boyish things. It was really a synonym for sex, but gender identity and gender expression, that's just what you say you are or what you pretend you are. That's not inherent. I don't think anyone in the world would actually think Yaniv is a woman. And the fact that he's still got twig and berries says he's not really even pretending that hard. is just a pervy who wants strange women to have to touch Young. Guys can get their balls waxed. So if a guy who wanted girls to go and touch his balls because he wanted them waxed, I'm just saying cisgender men, they can fucking go do that. They could just go in and ask for those services. Right. At, like, why would they have to disguise themselves as a woman? Like, I just don't understand well, that yeah. logic. <laughs> the main thread throughout this uh, episode 
is him constantly saying that Yaniv is crazy. And then he backtracks and goes, no, 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 no. She's not crazy. She's conniving. Well, I mean, Ezra misgenders. But yeah. like <laughs> the, the point being is he, Ezra, wants to frame this in terms of uh, Yaniv being a predator. They just want to keep on ramming the point home that these people are creepy. That's like the, the whole, it's just fear-mongering over and over again with it, right? And even like all this stuff, like the thing that annoys me with this, because like I was going to be doing my uh, dissertation on related topics, which is that there is, if you take biology seriously, nothing is inherent. No, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that was the whole point of, the, the, of natural selection, what Darwin figured out was that uh, there are no essences. To say that there, that like, they're just, it is a, an inherent fact about biology that there's two sexes. It's just nonsense. Where we know, even if you go down to the level of chromosome, there's different chromosome combinations. Even if yeah. you go down to the level of uh, gametes, there's different disorders and things. Like, there's actually so, a really good TED Talk, and it's about intersex. It's a doctor yeah. that just worked with intersex patients her entire career. And she was basically saying, like, the diversity of... Um, of sex it, it's very vast and people don't realize that and it could be like very subtle things like like a woman could have a labia and all that but then she could have testes like inside of yeah. her and she just doesn't know and then eventually just doesn't get her period and then finds that out like it's so subtle but everything else is you yep. know looks acts whatever all those uh social descriptions of what we consider to be feminine or woman-like and the funny thing is, because like what what they'll often come back to you on is they'll say, yeah, but those are like exceptions to the rule. But yeah. then it's like, but you just argue that it's an inherent fact about human existence that there's two sexes. And like, that's if, not your opinion, man. That's just reality. But if you want to go on the, about biology as like a whole, there's so many different organisms in this world. Clownfish go in and out. Of, like, I was about to say, <laughs> I was like, there's ones that are completely like asexual. They don't need to like reproduce yeah. with a partner. They reproduce on their own. Like, well, clownfish actually like alternate in their cycles. They go from like having like a sperm to having egg and oh yeah. that's cool i didn't know that yeah that's awesome <laughs> so or i think someone told me once that like seahorse are androgynous yeah, yeah they're both like male and female and like they can they can reproduce with themselves and i think that's like interesting i mean this is getting away from transgender into like the broader yeah. <laughs> lgbt well, that's what issues I was gonna say. like you don't want to like confuse intersex issues with trans issues we are very plastic in ways that I don't think people appreciate. And it leads to these claims of the binary being some absolute fact of reality. When, when you start to break a lot of these things down, we're diverse and flexible creatures, <laughs> you know? And so... An another reason I think this is so hard for people to accept is because the idea of the sanctity of marriage was so tied into the functioning of early stages of capitalism. So when you had set settlers, and I'm doing air quotes for settlers yeah. <laughs> come to Canada, um, or even like the United States, a lot of times marriage they'd have like marriage programs for women back in like France and Britain and bring them over to get um, those settlers um, to start a family and to stay in Canada and feel more comfortable in Canada rather than returning back home. And that was like programs they used to do. And it really fed into building 
um, capitalism because they were there to expand capitalism to these other countries. Um, and then marriage was a way or like it was almost like a, a weapon of the colonizer to to be more successful or they would marry into like indigenous groups and try to solidify their power over tribes um, that were that were there already. Yeah. And so I think being intersex and or being trans or being something that doesn't adhere to this like Christian or Catholic um, ideas around the sanctity of marriage or reproduction like really make people lose it or, because or it's this like vague notion of God's plan and how He like ordained because it's just that yeah. those ideas are so tied into like our economy and how our society functions. So it's almost like if you have that, then you're gonna break down everything we know right. like the Jordan our, peterson we're creating chaos yeah yeah no it's exactly like that because it's we been need more order because <laughs> that nuclear family or having like the male and the female and the male breadwinner has been so tied into the development of how our current society functions that it's it's these certain groups of people fret in that existence and people can't accept it they just lose it they go crazy because they're like oh Next you know it, we're having communism. And maybe that's why a lot of transgender people are like, they have communist league and stuff. Yeah. In London, at least. Yeah. And bringing it like back up to, to transgender stuff. I mean, there's this weird pull that these people want to go to, like, as they're going to genes and stuff like this. As if somehow, like, the biology itself is more real than what trans people feel about their personal uh, sense of self. There was a study actually done, and this is so ridiculous, with intersex babies. The doctor would take the intersex baby and then put a bunch of boy toys in one corner and then a bunch of girl toys in one corner or the other corner. And then see. And then see for over like, I think it was like a span of a week, which one they played with more. And then they that's how they decide what the baby was. Yeah, that's insane. That is crazy to me because what in that baby's dna said that it liked a doll over a truck like that well, to the, toy, the toy preference studies are so and like here's i'm speaking from a place of having uh raised two children so far and it is amazing to me how much they pick up from what's around them even as infants so like a lot of these toy studies the thing that's interesting is they need to be done at a time where the child is able and mobile to select things. And of course, newly born infants are not that mobile and it's hard to like do studies on them to show some kind of innate preference, whatever mm -hmm. innate preference would be. And so they do these studies when the kid has already experienced sometimes six months, sometimes a year worth of life before they put them in these things. And then they claim that that preference was innate. And it's like, no, like, it is amazing the subtleties that, yeah. that even infants pick up on and can tell like they're like obviously it's not going in the in the infant's brain of like I'm a boy I must like trucks but like the the infant might pick up on the fact that I'm subtly bringing there's trucks in his room maybe or uh, I I express more joy when i see my son playing with a truck yeah. right and i'm not saying that i've personally engaged in, in that kind of behavior but i can see how even at that young age how these like sort of uh 
behaviors can be instilled such that when you do a study <laughs> to see toy preference, it's already uh, infected with culture. It reminds me of, have you ever heard of Clever Hans? No. So it was a case, I want to say it was from the 1800s, where they had this horse who could uh, do math problems. Oh, you've told me this. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. what they found out was, so what they would do is they'd give the horse a math problem and the, the horse would tap the math problem out with its hoof. And then, so it'd be like two plus two, and it'd be like one, two, three, four on the hoofs, and they're like, whoa! And what they found out what was happening was the uh, owner of the horse, the horse being named Clever Hans, would lean in every time the horse was counting, and then when it reached the end, like the correct number, the owner who would uh, be happy that it reached the result would go ha ah, and like lean back, and so it was so subtle that like the owner probably wasn't even aware that he was doing it. Yeah. But the horse picked up on that subtle cue and knew to stop banging the horse because he would get a reward from it every time, right? And so it wasn't that the horse was counting. It was just stomping its hoof until its owner leaned back. Which is... I mean, that's amazing to me <laughs> that that horse even figured yeah. that out. That, to me, is an accomplishment in itself. It is a clever horse, but, like, it's... I mean, but it, it, if anything, but I mean, I get like, it, you, yeah. you can pick up on those subtle behaviors uh, on your pets. Yeah. Where they know what time of day you come home, even though the cat can't read the clock, you know? Oh, yeah. It just has a sense that this is around the time when the thing... So you can even and... see with my dog, even today, I had to stop him a couple <laughs> of times and I kind of just lift the eyebrow and say no, because he knows I will yeah. get really angry, right? So... So anyways, this is all to say that like this whole notion of innateness, I mean, there's going to be some innate things. Like obviously a cat is not going to be able to learn language. Like no matter, <laughs> there's like limits to like certain things that animals and human beings can do, mm-hmm. human beings being animals. But like within a range, we are very flexible. And I think the people like Ezra and the religious right get so locked into this idea that there are these binaries and man is like this and woman is like this and gender is this and uh, and those just aren't the case. There's diversity there. Ezra then uh, plays all the clips in which Rebel harassed Yaniv. And I still want to say that uh, regardless of how this court case turned out, it was still not a great idea for them to have harassed her like that that's still inappropriate yeah super inappropriate Uh, especially for the reasons why they're (laughs) doing it and again calling her a predator is just engaging in in further uh, transphobia against her they basically say that they've given the tapes of the harassment that they did to her to the rcmp and so they're waiting for i hope the rcmp is like why are you (laughs) this poor person (laughs) That's the thing is, well, so Ezra's complaining that the RCMP hasn't done anything with it yet. And my guess is the reason why they haven't done anything with it yet, because like they look bad in the footage. Uh, but I honestly, I don't think the RCMP is going to uh, charge them. They probably won't move on it unless Yaniv herself wants to to push for it. Yeah. So we'll we'll leave Yaniv behind. That'll be the hopefully the end of. <laughs> <laughs> my guess is it's not going it to be comes the end up of a train lot, stuff, yeah. but uh, hopefully the end of Yaniv. We then get to the interview portion of the show, and it begins with a terrible joke that I'm now going to play for you. Welcome back. Well, you'll know that I've been madder than a snake that married a garden hose what? for almost <laughs> two months now. Ever since some animal rights extremists—oh, is this about the turkey farmers? Invasion style. <laughs> Raid 
on a Hutterite farming colony in southern Alberta. Is he like going over all his older topics? He's like, I've been doing well, election stuff, so now I yeah, have to go. That's what it feels like. But also like there's there's new there's new stuff in all these things. But like Matt, what the matter than a snake? <laughs> I have no fucking clue what the joke is. Like I sat there, I'm like I've been madder than guy? a snake in a garden house? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I, I like. I'm trying to think. Like maybe it's some like old folky thing that he picked up on a farm somewhere. Matter than a snake who like, is in love with a garden house. I think he's in love. With a garden. I can't even remember. It I was so he's weird. In a garden house, like stuck. Well, if he's stuck, or maybe he's mad because like, <laughs> like I thought it was. I can't remember. We'll have to go. Maybe should we play it again? Here's the joke again. Let's <laughs> let's go. <laughs> Welcome back. Well, you'll know matter than a snake that married a garden host. That married one. That married a garden host. But like, why? Is it because he realized that it's fake? Yeah, yeah. Like, I have no clue. What a stupid joke. Uh, But yes, we're going to be talking about uh, the turkey farm again. And I actually decided to go further in my investigation here because this is the third or fourth time we've brought up the turkey farm. And now I'm starting to like get curious about what's going on here. So much like the McDonald's thing I brought up earlier, which we're now like going back in time to figure out, I feel like this is a a real time version of him trying to distort uh, stuff, right? And so I just want to sort of like figure it out now while it's fresh. the The new part of this story is that there's been four arrests. So the thing happened back in September. Uh, it's now. By the time of this recording, it's October 25th. And so the RCMP finally arrested four people. And Ezra's slightly annoyed by this because he's like, well, why didn't they arrest them earlier? He's also mad that there were 60 people that were uh, taking over the farm. And he's mad that only four of them in the end got arrested. But here's uh, what Ezra has to say about it. And the most surprising thing and something I'd like to focus on in today's segment is... The fourth person to be charged, a 46-year-old man named Maxwell Ma, who just happens to be an employee of Global News, a journalist. And I say again, part of the hostage shakedown extortion deal was that Global News be given access to these protesters. So it was an inside job you you have this group and i i can't i don't think these people were under a single group uh so like there's you know different animal rights groups these were just animal rights activists that worked together not under the name of a group and took over this uh barn and the four arrests were three women one is a 16 year old who goes unnamed because she's a minor Mm -hmm. two uh 20 to 30 year old women and then this 46 year old guy and of course, Ezra's going to focus on the fact that it's a 46-year-old guy and uh, other women. But then there's also the fact of it came out. So basically what happened was the global news portion of Edmund, in, in Edmonton, in their like article covering the arrests, had a single line indicating that the, the male who was arrested was an employee of Global Edmonton. Now, notice already that Ezra has called him a journalist. I can find no indication that this person's a journalist and I've reached out to try to figure it out. But part of my thinking was if he's a journalist, he's probably written or been on TV 
And you can Google search this person as an employee at Gold Edmonton. He doesn't come up in any searches. So that it says to me that he's not actually engaging in any journalism. And here's the thing is like he could work anywhere in the company. He could be the guy who runs papers from here to here. Like who know who knows what he's doing, right? Uh he could be an intern, an unpaid intern for all you know. He could be uh, all kinds of things. But they're immediately latched onto the fact that he's a journalist. And then so the other part that we know about this story is well, while the activists uh, are holding the farm hostage in a way and uh, have sat in uh, in the barns, their demands to leave. So they, when the police showed up, they engaged in this sort of like negotiations with the cops and with the farmers. And the negotiation was they wanted to have media come into the barns and look at stuff and also to free a couple of turkeys. I think they decided on five turkeys that they were then going to bring to a sanctuary. That was kind of like the negotiation, and that's how it came to a peaceful con- conclusion. It's basically yeah. global news was allowed in to, to film. And so here's the other part of it. Is it was global news that was the one that they like let into the barn, right? So now you're going to hear them speculating on the conspiracy. The, the conspiracy. It was a global news inside job. I can't believe it that global news had a journalist on the inside, or as you put it in your video, maybe the eco-terrorists had someone on the inside of global, but either way, the whole thing was a setup and global news was in on it from the beginning. Yeah, I, I don't know about you, but I always that thought Sheila. it was somewhat that, that global news was the media outlet of choice for these protesters to contact and get down to the farm. And uh, the initial reporting came from Global News Calgary. So that was two hours away from the farm. And yet, Global News was Johnny on the spot there. They were there right away. Now, notice what she's saying. She's saying like that Global One was the news organization of choice and two, that they got there right away. So those are the two main claims that she makes there. Which makes sense that they got there right away because they chose for Global News to come. Well, No. So actually, both those claims are completely false. Oh, okay. And and why? Well, let's just caveat that. I wouldn't say completely false, but from what I can gather, they don't seem legitimate. So what I ended up doing, I wanted to find any and all information I could because there's a, every single person that has covered this story has pretty much been uh, like the Edmonton local newspaper. And again, a couple paragraphs just stating these people were arrested. This was the action that happened. That's yeah. it. Uh, that like brief two minute global news segment where they covered it. And other than that, it's been rebel news, the post millennial, like uh, every, every right wing uh, news source. And so I was searching things, searching things. And finally I I came across the actual live stream, which was hard enough to find. And so basically the activist sat down in the barn and filmed themselves for the four and a half hours that they were, doing their action Mm -hmm. now i didn't watch the whole thing obviously because i'm not going to watch four and a half hours of people sitting in a bar (laughs) makes sense but right at the start of the clip they acknowledged that they just got there and they said we're now calling the rcmp so as soon as they got there they called the rcmp to tell them that they were doing this so the farmers weren't the ones that called the rcmp the activists did the farmers probably didn't even know that they were there okay then they also started calling the media. 
And he goes, but the issue is we're like two hours away from civilization. So it's going to take a while for any media to get here, if any media comes at all. And so like even there, you're going, they didn't call like global news knowing that global news would be here. And if it was like an inside job, like the media took two hours to get there. Yeah. Which, so like in the live stream, like I scanned ahead a bunch till the end, till eventually the media shows up. But the media wasn't there right away. This was a process in which they made the call when they did the action. Yeah. Uh, and then it took the media two hours to get there. They weren't there right away. Right. <laughs> and then it happens the global news was the one that showed up. I don't know if any other media showed up because none of them have written a report. So my guess is no, none of them did. But Global News did it. And that's who they then negotiated with to give access to the barn. The other thing that's weird about this whole conspiracy idea is that Global News, like their story is, uh, wasn't positive for the protesters. Okay. (laughs) So you would think that like if, like here's the thing. They engaged in a lot of both sides-y kind of like talk, which is, you know, typical. Yeah. But you could tell that like, they still were sort of siding with the farmers in that these we see nothing wrong with the barn kind of thing, right? Okay. And like, but like watching that clip, it then made me think, why were they there in the first place, right? So nothing that Ezra has talked about and nothing that Sheila has talked about, that was Sheila Gunn Reed that we yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. the clip for, none of it has been about why this barn out of all the barns that like, and, and I think that they framed it as the only reason these protesters chose that barn is because these people are Hutterites and pacifists and it would be like an easy mark kind of thing. Okay. So digging into who these, what the demands were and why they demanded the news come in and why they demanded to release five turkeys. They had people on the inside of this farm film what they believed was bad behavior towards these animals. Now, the one video clip that they have shows, well, even their own footage when they're sitting in the barn, it's clear that some of these birds are not in a good state. So some of them have tumors, some are just being pecked to death by other birds and other things. And some of these, so so the, the, the initial difficulty for me, like we're vegetarians, so part of the part of me initially is just like, yes, get rid of all this kind of farming. We shouldn't be farming animals like this. We shouldn't have animals pecking each other to mm-hmm. death. Thing. But then the other part of me is like, I don't know to what extent this farm is any worse than other farms to yeah. like make that assessment. But the other claim that is the, the worst claim is they say they have evidence that they were burning some of these birds alive. What the heck? And when you look at the footage, it's edited in a way that I can't conclude that this is exactly what was happening. Okay. What seemed to happen is you had a farmer picking up some of the birds that were injured and laying on the ground and they picked them up put them in the back of this truck and then the truck drove to where this incinerator was and he was loading the birds into the incinerator and the smoke comes up now the thing is you can't see like between him putting them in the truck or not to whether or not they've like executed them and then burned them or some other like stage like that which again you if you're an animal rights activist already you're already upset that they executed yeah. the birds in the first place. Yeah. But if you're like going to be like okay with that, burning birds alive, I think a lot of people would be upset with. Like that's a level of like kill it first and then burn it. Like yeah, yeah. yeah. So 
I'm just trying to be be careful here because I know there's going to be a lot of people that are going to listen to this who aren't animal rights activists and won't care. But they claim that they had this footage and they show, well, they, they have like videos online. overcrowded farm too? Also, like, why do you want to eat meat from, like, turkeys that have tumors? <laughs> it's disgusting. Yeah. Oh. People are gross. Meat is honestly... <laughs> so, like you said, we're vegetarians and I think our reasonings are very diverse yeah. because I haven't met anyone with the same reasoning which is meat is just fucking gross animals are disgusting why would you want to eat them <laughs> like to me that's just a, a nasty concept that you want to eat something that like would probably eat its own shit if it wanted to like yeah, I just that doesn't gross me out because that whatever. grosses me out like ever since i found out like turkey's actually a turkey or chicken's actually from chicken which is really young i've been a vegetarian since i was about four yeah um I became a vegetarian when I was like 20. So, yeah. So, yeah. I was just like, I was like, that is disgusting. Like, I just thought it was the grossest concept. And still <laughs> to this day, I, like, when I see people eating meat, I just think, like, wow, you're eating pork? Pigs will literally eat themselves if they need to. You need, and yeah. have you seen pig scraps? Like, what they actually eat? It's just moldy garbage. It's yeah, oh, disgusting. But that's, see, none of that bugs me. I mean, and even like, which is why, like, I'm framing it the way that I'm framing it. Because, like, you want to eat back... birds with tumors on no, it that peck like, at each other. But, uh, but those, a lot of those, are the birds that we're getting disposed of, right? So they're not the birds that you would end up eating necessarily. And so the question is, because because here's I think is the issue for like people who eat meat. I think there's still going to be a section of them who are going to be like, I want to eat meat, but I don't want to eat meat that comes from farms where like the people are the kicking goal? the birds. Then go like... raise your own bird and kill it yourself no. <laughs> in your backyard then. And I... even that is still gross. You're still gross. Like that's just a, t- sorry, but it's no, like. No, like I agree with you yeah. to a point. It's like, like when people drink milk. I'm trying to like appeal to like people like, because here's the thing, just to explain, because like these people weren't just choosing this farm randomly. Yeah. Right. I mean, because, like, that's that's the easy out that, like, you could have is to say that these people just chose these these farmers because they thought they were pacifists and were trying to take advantage of them. When it's like, no, they had people on the inside that filmed these farmers doing what they perceived to be negative things to these birds. And then it's up, I, in some sense, it's up to you to decide whether or not you think that that is, reaches the level of negativity such that you're like, shut it down. Yeah. <laughs> or if you're... Uh, Whatever, which is like clearly someone like getting the media into the barns actually like didn't really work in their favor at all. Because like, of course, like the farmers aren't going to show you putting the birds in the incinerator. And Global News didn't bring it up because Global News only has the activist footage to rely on. And yeah. they're going to say, is that biased or trustworthy? Right. And like, yeah. it's But it's it's the fact that like this is a far more complicated story than what <laughs> all the shit that they try to make but it Ezra's, to be. Ezra is very mad. He's been mad for a very <laughs> long time over this situation. Yeah, I mean, like, because it plays into, like, a lot of his tropes, which is why he got so mad to the point where he was almost like, man, if people came onto my property like that, like, I, I don't know what I would have done. I, 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 Would have killed them, yeah. <laughs> uh, because he's he's put in this position of like this is like freedom these people came out of my property and for for them to accept that maybe people have an issue with how people treat other living beings on this planet that can't factor into his thing because it's again human freedom trumps everything so it's a huge story for him but this is why like no one else cares to cover this 
because everyone else is like, ugh. Fact, fact, and this actually feeds into a lot of the stuff that you're saying is that I think that a lot of people don't like to think too hard about where their food comes from. Yeah. So even at a base level, people don't even want to think about this story yeah. because like for them, then you have to realize that because these were free range turkeys and they were living in conditions that I would say were not good. <laughs> we're not free range. For okay. Sure, yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, they say like, oh yeah, they have the opportunity to roam and do this and this, but like they're pecking each other to death in close quarters, which tells you something about where our food comes from. And that makes people really uncomfortable, but it's the reality. We have to accept that for what it is. So that was, that was one, one day that was the 25th uh, and it had a lot in there, but uh, we're, we're going to move on now. So October 28th, which is the Monday, Ezra admits he was, uh, Shared a video by a guy on Twitter, which automatically (laughs) gets me thinking this is weird. And it was for a group called the Century Initiative, which is proposing an increase of Canada's population to 100 million and getting there through things like immigration. Now, the group is mostly funded by what I would call neoliberal organizations and stuff like that. Uh, It's a lot of banks. CIBC is heavily involved in this initiative. And also there's a bunch of academics from like Queens and and other places that are working on this board to promote this thing. And because of this, Ezra is calling them globalists and big bankers. I mean, they're doing better than what some other countries do. Like Italy, for example, has um, reproductive programs or reproduction programs where they'll give you like a house for super super cheap like a dollar like if you appropriate yeah if you use a house procreate yeah that's the whole idea to encourage people to have babies well the premise because they would rather do that than have immigrants come into the country so that is okay i can deal with that and this doesn't seem to be indicating that they would actually like provide incentives for people it seems more that like they're making the argument that we've discussed on the show already which is that in order for our country to survive, we need immigrants because we're an aging population that's not going to yeah, be able to absolutely. do a lot of the work, yeah. right? And of course, he is objecting to the fact that it says 100, and 100 million, right? So like our current population is around 37 million. And so to get to 100 million, you have to add two more of our current population oh, to no. reach... That means we're going to like... <laughs> lower the white population right is that what he's (laughs) gonna get uh, he doesn't say that but uh, he does say that they're gonna be people who don't hold to canada's values that are coming in and all the same like anti-immigrant talking points but he says some weird things like the fact that like he's like haven't you seen toronto already it's already crowded and that's where they're all gonna go and can you imagine 60 million more people just living in toronto and no one's gonna be able to move anywhere it's gonna be so crowded they're not gonna build the city ever they're not going to like build up other cities or rebuild infrastructure we're just all gonna have to get used to like just smushing against each other as we walk and here's the other thing is like he makes it sound like the initiative is to just grab 60 million people and just like plop them on the country. <laughs> but what is the name of the initiative? The Century Initiative. Yes. Yeah, the goal is to, to get to that point by 2100. Oh, okay. Which is 80 years away. 
So we have 80 years to accomplish what this initiative wants to accomplish. Yeah. And Ezra thinks this is like a George Soros-like conspiracy by bankers and globalists to yeah. destroy Canada. From like a demography point of view, it's actually a really good plan because it's a way of... Because int- we do have an aging population. The only other way to get your population up would be, again, like social marketing by governments to encourage people to reproduce. And then you'd also have to give more incentives for people to reproduce. So you would have to have better housing uh, costs. Um, You would also have to have better jobs with stable salaries, higher minimum wage, lower um, consumer goods prices, right? So, but of course governments don't want to do that. So it's actually better if you brought in immigrants for cheaper labor, because that's what a lot of companies want, right? So, well, we're good. I know some of your research focuses on issues of like bringing immigrants to do things like uh, international students and stuff like this. Kind of, yeah. And uh, there's a clip from the Century Initiative thing where they talk about what they want to do to international students. And one thing that they suggest is to make all current international students citizens. And Ezra... Yeah, that's highly discussed in the academic literature as well. And so Ezra has some issues with this, but we're going to play the clip. And uh, I figured this... As soon as he started talking about this, I was like, Caitlin's going to love this because it's right in their research area. I mentioned Dominique Barton, Trudeau's new ambassador to China, one of the founders of this open borders lobby group. He's the consummate globalist. And look at this kooky idea featured just the other day in the Toronto Star. There are now more than half a million foreign students in Canada. And Barton's group here, this Century Initiative group, simply wants to gift them all citizenship. Poof. You're citizens, and by the way, vote liberal. So that's a half a million spots in Canadian universities right now that aren't available to existing Canadian students, students whose parents have been paying taxes to build up those universities for decades. Does your son or daughter or grandson or granddaughter have trouble getting into the Canadian university of their choice? Maybe if you took out half a million spoiled children of the elites from foreign dictatorships, Canadian kids would have better luck. The argument made by the university says, look, these foreign students pay more. Now, I'm sure that's true. It's also a reason why universities are jacking up their tuition so much. Supply and demand, after all. They prefer the children of Saudi princes and the children of Chinese Communist Party bosses to the children of ordinary Canadian taxpayers. But maybe profiteering shouldn't be the top priority of our government-funded, government-built universities that have being paid for by our taxes for generations, and maybe simply gifting citizenship to the children of dictatorships isn't exactly the best way to recruit civic-minded Canadians who care about our country. Yeah, he's actually very accurate with a lot of the statements he's making. So a majority of international students that come in are from like a wealthy I yeah. wouldn't say like elite background, but a higher class. Are they Saudi? They're all Saudi princes? No, most of them are from <laughs> or China, or China or India. That's the highest population. And then you have a big portion from various Middle Eastern um, countries. And they do pay on average three times the amount of tuition across Canada. It depends on the university. Some are a lot more than others. Some are less. Again, depends on the university that they're going to. Um, There is a selective number of spots that they get that are reserved for them. So it's not like you're taking away a spot from a domestic student. That was the one question I was going to ask. Yeah. So it's not like it's it's not like they have so many seats 
and then they're giving away a seat from a domestic student to an international student to the point where there's like a disproportionate amount of international students because they want more money. They have quotas yeah. in place. So they're going to take this many domestic, then they're going to take this many international. And then they also base those quota numbers off of what the provincial governments give them, as well as what um, people that are giving funding to the university give them because your tuition subsidized yeah. by the government, right? So so that's and it's the funny that thing changes like, those numbers. Yeah. In in Ontario, we're gonna see a de- decrease in uh Canadian citizens yeah. because of the rollback to OSAP yeah. and, and other issues that have nothing to do with the amount of international students we're bringing in, but have to do with stupid policies that are local Being governments. Cre- yeah, exactly. So that's why I'm like, he's right, but he's almost framing it like this us first perspective. Yeah. <laughs> These people over here coming in and they're taking our students' privileges away. And you know what? I, I hear this all the time from parents, constantly. Like, my own parents, I heard it all the time. Oh, there's all these Chinese people. Look, they're driving Jaguars and um, Lamborghinis and all these fancy cars. They're all loaded. And they are. They are do come from very wealthy backgrounds because you not only do you have to fork out 30000 for tuition, but you have to fork out your kids' complete living costs yeah. for the year. Uh, when you're in a student visa, you're usually tied to only working at the university or on the university grounds or if at all depends on the country and the type of visa you get um so you have to have the financial ability to afford it but i think what he is not understanding is that universities are using them as cash cows exactly are they actually giving them quality education and what is the meaning of education when we start using people as a way to profit and it's really a question about the university and the modeling of university as well as the modeling of provincial governments that have prevented universities from actually being learning institutions. But that's like, like at the end there, that really frustrated me because he started talking about the fact that our institutions shouldn't be about making profit, but they're He's forced, right. but they're forced into that position because we're not getting the local funding for yeah. them. And so that like leaves it to the government's are not the governments, the the organizations at these universities to bring in the international international students to make up for the shortfall. And yeah. there's an additive layer here, and this is actually what I'm working on right now, is there's this layer of inequality that comes with the expansion of international mm-hmm. students coming into um, Canadian and U.S. universities. A lot of times these students are coming from wealthy backgrounds but they're coming from impoverished countries that really need those human capitals the social capital the cultural capital that these students are gaining to help build their countries up and it almost becomes like emmanuel wallerstein's dependency theory but for labor not actual capital goods um, in the sense where we use those countries that we once colonized for skilled labor now to bring into our country to further help our economy grow and solidify itself to become stronger and stronger where their countries are robbed of the labor and skills that they would need to actually lift themselves out of this underdeveloped poverty state that's been due to colonization and in addition because now international markers so let's say let me go back a bit let's say that international student comes to canada gets that degree and it becomes a phenomenon that if you're a wealthy student 
from another country that that is a signifier of elitism and you go back to your country, you're going to have better job um, prospects than the other kids that went to maybe like a local Chinese university. And it's creating further class barriers within that country and creates this huge gap between the rich and the poor within that country. country. And to me, that is so upsetting because it's such a systemic issue and Canadian universities and governments are really at the center of it, but they don't see that they're actually recreating the systemic inequality. What they should actually be doing is if you want international students to come in, because there are a lot of benefits for having international students come in, um, not just for those students, but actually for the surrounding country, like having other diverse groups come in, help us educate ourselves and learn to be a more inclusive and accepting place. I mean, it doesn't always work out like that. That's theoretically... Well, there is some evidence that diversity helps with these behaviors. Sure, so, yeah. sure. There is also evidence that international students tend to group together and isolate themselves or students yeah. tend to isolate themselves and not actually branch out so it doesn't do what it's intended to do. So we don't... But you still bump in... Like, the thing is, like, if we didn't have as much international students coming in, there might be cultures... Like, because even... You're right that they might self-segregate, but they might self-segregate in cases of, like, they'll go with their group of friends to, like, bars and stuff. But, like, that still doesn't mean that, like, when I'm taking a class, like, I'm sitting beside people and talking to people who are my classmates from a different spectrum. Yeah, yeah. So there still is ways in which... So in principle, like, that's that's what the point of having international students is. But we've known through the, the just basic statistics on the rates of international students that more universities are taking a higher number of them increasingly due to the cutbacks in provincial government funding and they're using them as cash cows as a way to make up that money and are they really learning are they really gaining any skills or are they just here you know getting a fancy degree that they can either integrate into this country or they can go back home and get better career prospects and then it, what university should be doing is offering it as a free degree. It should be completely subsidized and you have a number of spots for international students to come in. That's a free ride program. And it's the same thing. We should have free tuition. And I think yeah. that's the overall argument is that universities should not be operating like businesses. Correct. You, education is a human right. Everyone should have access to all types of levels of education and there should be nothing that's preventing you from getting an education because we know your education is highly tied to your life outcomes and or and also where you are. It's tied to social class mobility as well. Um, so to me, it's just, just ridiculous um, that he's trying to make an argument or trying to twist the facts because he is saying factual information, but he's twisting it in a way where it's almost like, again, this othering. This foreign invader is going to come in and take away your child's rights and your child's ability to like succeed in life when that's really not the case. Um, And also not really realizing the systemic inequalities that are being developed. That just pisses me off that he wants to take that fucking whole racist route rather than actually understanding the complexities of international education. So he closes the segment by going through a gauntlet of stupid things. And I'm not going to cover them all, but he he just says things like the left wants us to eat bugs, Sounds to live right. in pods like ants. Yeah, that was the first time I've heard him make that claim on this. <laughs> to have a ton of abortions, we're just gonna abortions for free everywhere, all while wanting immigrants to move in with Sharia law, creating no go zones like in France. Mm. And 
no go zones in France is a bunch of bullshit as well. <laughs> but he thinks that there's no go zones. So that was uh, that segment. And then the next segment, which is the interview portion, was really weird. And it was weird because he has on someone named Tanya Granick Allen. And oh, she, a new person. Yeah, well, she is uh, ran against Doug Ford in the leadership race, the Progressive Conservatives. Doug Ford obviously won. And Ezra begins by asking her how she thinks Doug is doing since he was elected. And she gives him an F grade for basically not being as conservative as she would. So knowing how conservative Doug Ford is, imagine who this person is who's so upset with Doug Ford because he's not as conservative as she is. And I was like, okay, I want to know something about her. After she lost the leadership race and became a candidate for a particular riding, Doug Ford actually kicked her out of the party. And the reason why he kicked her out of the party is because she had uh, said some things about gay marriage making her want to vomit. Great. And she also said about Muslim women, I don't believe people should dress like ninjas when going for an afternoon stroll. I don't believe that people should dress like bank robbers when going to vote. My daughter loves wearing a Spider-Man mask, but I, but I forbid her for wearing it, from wearing it out in public. She said that both those statements, neither was homophobic or Islamophobic. That was her defense. So she's not denying that she said these things and kind of stands by them still. <laughs> so she's not a, a good person. So she was too toxic even for Doug Ford. But the weird thing is, so consider this, that Doug Ford still let Andrew Lawton run even after his statements uh although lawton unlike her apologized and blamed it on mental illness uh and also i think lawton well lawton didn't run against him in the leadership yeah. race and they were buddies from talk radio okay so there's subtle differences uh not to say that uh they're not good differences like if you're gonna kick out the one you probably should have kicked out the other but yeah just for context the other weird thing about this interview, though, is she goes off script in some ways. Like, she wasn't afraid to say the things that Ezra wouldn't say in some ways that I think are interesting. And one of them has to do with immigrants and how they vote. The 905, you're dealing with a lot of um, a variety of religious groups, a lot of uh, New Canaan Sikhs, Muslims, uh, Hindus, uh, Christians. And when you're not talking about issues that matter to them, and let's face it, a lot of these religious groups, social issues do matter, like mm -hmm. legalization of marijuana, yeah. like the sex ed, or like gender identity theory. Yeah. My gosh, Doug Ford promised to get rid of gender identity theory in schools. He didn't do that. Yeah. I don't even think Andrew Scheer mentioned it once in the election. No, he, he doesn't address this. And this is something that really fascinates me because she just gave the game away, which is his whole anti-immigrant spiel is that these people are going to come in with anti-Canadian values. Yeah. And what she's saying is, no, these immigrants are coming in with the same values conservatives hold, which are anti-gender identity, anti-sex ed curriculum, anti-marijuana, uh, probably cool with dress codes for, yeah. for women, like, like these kind of things. And it's like... His whole point, like, like that destroys his whole immigrant narrative in a well, way. Well, I mean, conservatives just make a bunch of contradictory points, but still yeah. go with it for some reason. And, like, I I don't remember if we covered this on the show, but there was this one guy 
who ran to become or who after the provincial election was over and Doug Ford had won, he he created the the Islamic Party of Ontario. Okay. And it's only one person and he basically just registered it. So there's no candidates yet for it or whatever, but he created this Islamic Party and the right wing media like went nuts. Of course. And it turned out that this was a guy who voted for Doug Ford and campaigned for <laughs> And so all the conservatives were freaking out. Yet he was a conservative that supported Doug Ford because religious zealots like the far right. Like yeah. They like the, the Christian zealots and the Islamic zealots are closer than they like to pretend they are, right? But they're also equally xenophobic. So they all agree on the same things about wanting to put women in their place, hating homosexuals, yeah, but these stuff. are like extreme. Yeah. Extreme. Well, we're dealing with the far right. Yeah. Like, yeah. obviously, not all Muslims, not all Christians. Yeah, just but... making that clear. <laughs> yeah. uh, but but you could tell, like, the people who hold those views are going to be close together, even though they're also the highly xenophobic people. So they're still like, oh, Christians are bad or Islamists are bad, and they'll yell at each other. Uh, yet they agree on more than they, they think, right? That's about right. So then she says that uh, Andrew Scheer would have been more popular if he brought up Bill C-16 and Jordan Peterson and says that that's why he lost. <laughs> so he lost because he didn't bring up any of the gender identity no, issues. No, he that... would have lost more seats if he did because yeah. <laughs> there's people out there that would have heard that and been like, yeah, this guy's nuts. And then Ezra did something that reminded me of Alex Jones. Uh so if for anyone who doesn't listen to the Knowledge Fight podcast or ever listens to Alex Jones, Don't. he has a moment where when he has certain guests on, he offers them jobs. <laughs> it's just a weird thing. And it's usually like a sign of like he's desperate and he needs like people. And so Ezra offers her a job and I wasn't expecting it. So I decided to play the clip. We're curious to see what you do next. You're always welcome here at The Rebel to come in as a pundit. Even if you want to pick up a microphone uh, and, and go report on something, the door is always open here. We're fans of what you're doing. We hope you keep shaking things up. <laughs> I mean, didn't he offer Bernier a job too? I don't... He didn't interview him, but he was like, Bernier could come on our pod. Like, wouldn't that be great if he let... They were talking about it last time. Yeah, so he didn't offer Bernier the job. They, they more just said that he would be great... Like he's uh, gonna leave politics. Yes, come like, join us. It was more of like he's gonna engage in the culture wars and like no longer be a politician, uh, and become more like Dave Rubin and Ben Shapiro. Gross. But, <laughs> but it wasn't really like them saying, "Hey, come work for us." Although I'm, I guarantee you, Ezra would be like, "Come on, come on, join us." But who knows what they're doing behind the scenes. But that was that day. So that was just, it was a short interview. It was weird. And you had that uh, beginning piece about this conspiracy theory about this century initiative. So then on October 29th, on the first half of the episode, Ezra claims that Trudeau wants to censor the internet more deeply next election. So he's already engaged in censorship. But come next election, he's going to be all deep in that censorship. So that <laughs> so that's the premise. And Ezra goes from that to... Uh, play a clip from the Privy Council who says that before the election began, that he was worried about the increase in violent rhetoric online and that someone might get shot this election. And we now know that that, that in some sense that's false. No one got shot. Uh, but concerns like this are hard to figure out, right? Like you don't, 
you can see violent rhetoric and you don't know that someone's going to get shot, but if you're not worried about it and you don't do anything, the like, like it might leave it open such that people do get shot, right? Like you're in this like weird thing. And the thing that always happens with these kind of things, that is if something happens, somebody gets shot, we tend to blame people for not being prepared enough in the first place. Okay. But then if nothing happens, we get mad that we're like spending too much money on a problem. Like, why are we spending all this money and time on a thing that doesn't happen? And it's like, well, maybe it's not happening because we're spending the money, right? So like working out risks and stuff uh, in these kind of scenarios are difficult, right? Uh, but then Ezra claims that all these things during the election, like uh, Trudeau wearing the bulletproof vest that one day, were all to distract us from the SNC-Lavalin issue. And I don't know how much truth there is to that, in part because the bulletproof vest thing was like one weekend. And like, I don't remember hearing much about threats and stuff like that throughout the election. It seemed like but how he much wore... does that even cost? The bulletproof vest? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, he is the prime minister, so he has a security detail and other mm -hmm. things. But I mean, like all of the candidates do to a certain extent. Yeah. And like even, I mean, Ezra was getting on his case because like, so the day he wore the vest, two days later when he came to London, he was in a crowd of people without a vest. And he's like, well, uh, what, like, I thought you were worried in the one event and not worried in the other. But it could have been that it was a particular person in the area sent in a death threat there. And there's uh, okay. no death threat here, right? But, like, we don't have any information because, of course, they're not going to, like, broadcast that information. So part of me is like, I don't care. Like, yes, I don't want Trudeau to get shot. So let him wear a bulletproof vest when he feels like he needs to wear a bulletproof vest, right? Uh, and so, yeah, Ezra keeps on uh, claiming that it's a stunt that he wore the bulletproof uh, vest. He said a, what I would call his catchphrase. Okay. <laughs> Not really, but I, I thought I would just play this for fun. Just a few days later, having Trudeau out, shaking hands in public, unguarded, here just with the crowds, and right after the election, the subway in Montreal. Why would you do that when the so-called terrorists haven't been arrested yet? Is the threat suddenly gone? Yeah, it was fake. It was fake, fake, fake. I mean, it's not fakey, fake, fake, uh, but uh, he said fake three times in a row, and I was like, I have to play it now. So then Ezra discusses a, a report claiming that there were uh, campaigns to spread it, misinformation during the election, and he uses the vague language in these reports like so the reports say things like more needs to be done and he uses this to then speculate that this is going to be used to ruin free speech online and he's of course worried that it's gonna encroach on his ability to to spread bullshit online and the, what the report says is that most of the disinformation uh, that was spread online was spread through uh, what they called low credibility accounts and most of this is like people with almost no followers or bots that were created to spread stuff. So this is a bit of a tangent, but like then Ezra sort of like goes from this to then say that uh, what he takes to be a low credibility account. And it's kind of like off topic, but I thought it's like an interesting digression. So we'll listen to what he thinks is a low credibility account. That That's what you got? One or 2% of tweets were made by low credibility accounts. What's what's that? What's a low credibility account? I think Catherine McKenna's Twitter account is a low credibility <laughs> account. 
because she says she lied. But you know, I actually gave them some real advice. I said that if you actually say it louder, we've learned in the House of Commons, if you repeat it, if you say it louder, if that is your talking point, people will totally believe it. Hey kids, friendly advice, uh, don't drink and tweet, okay? So that's what he says. And I'm like, I want to know what this clip is from. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it's like a tiny 11 second clip. That doesn't really have a lot of context. Yeah. And it took me a long time because like, what do you search for? Like, I couldn't, like, you just have this, like, weird, like, clip. And every time you try to search for the keywords, all you get is right-wing sites talking about this thing. So eventually I found it. And it was released on her Twitter, and it's since been deleted because of the harassment she's gotten for posting it. But it was at a, it was at a bar, and she's with uh, Mark Critch, I think, I think that's his name. And Mark Critch uh, is a uh, one of the members from This Hour Has 22 Minutes. So he's a comedian. And basically, the, so she's at this bar with these comedians in Newfoundland. And she just engaged in the kissing of the fish or whatever that they did oh, at okay. the bar or whatever. Yeah. And it's possible, it's possible that she's uh, drunk or at least she's partaken in a few beverages. Yeah. You know? And... Uh, she sort of like begins it by saying how like how great it is she's in Newfoundland, all this fun stuff. And then she sort of talks about what her comedian friends are discussing. What we were talking about is St. John's, the oldest city in North America. And uh, there's some debate about that. He was saying that it could be uh, Missouri, but we firmly believe it is because there's nobody from Missouri here. But you know, I actually gave them some real advice. I said that if you actually say it louder, we've learned in the House of Commons, if you repeat it, if you say it louder, if that is your talking point, people will totally believe it. So just go it. St. John's oldest city. So basically, they're just two comedians shooting the shit going, we're debating whether St. John's is the oldest city in Canada. Yeah. And she's like, just do it like the people in the House of Commons do. Just say it loud and over and over again and people will start believing it. Now, she's not saying that that she's like, if anything, you can read that in the context of her accusing like the other side of doing that. Like she's just talking about the nature of people using talking points over and over she's again. She's making a, like a satirical point about right. politicians. And a satirical point about politicians to two comedians in a bar. Yeah. <laughs> and, and this has been spread all over the Internet as her admitting to lying. Like it's to everywhere. what though? She's just an admitted liar. She's not admitting to like what she lied about. She's just admitting that I am someone who lies. That everyone lies. As, <laughs> no, I like I agree with that point, but it's like the 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 absurdity of it is so stupid. Like she's making a point about talking points. They just need some fresh material to talk about, so they have to like really scrounge even, around the internet to one of the members of parliament for the conservatives read her this clip during question period. Oh my god. Her words back. He's like, how could I believe anything you say when you said and read her thing? And of course, like, she didn't respond back to him and like gave the same pablum about uh us needing to uh worry about climate change and not about you know what I mean? But like the fact is like this became such like a heated thing that oh even conservative god. members of our government read this back to her That's as so like childish. evidence that she's a liar. It's so fucking childish. 
this is ironic anyways, because given that he's trying to rebut the claim in this segment that there's dis- dis- a disinformation campaign online. <laughs> and Ezra is right now in the fucking clip engaging in a disinformation campaign. <laughs> uh, he then talks about a group that makes the claim that uh, the hashtag Wixit uh, Twitter trend was actually promoted by bots. And then again, from that, veers into talking about Trudeau and the rumors about the sexual misconduct at he West has, Point. You can't let it go, and, right? And the, th- the weirdest part about this clip is... Well, we'll see. We'll see it at the other end. It is so fucking weird. I'm not worried about some guy on Facebook who says that Trudeau had an affair with a teenager at West Point Gray Academy when he was a teacher there. I haven't seen real proof of that rumor, by the way, other than some circumstantial evidence. I didn't report on that rumor because I'm not going to put my reputation staked on rumors. If some guy on Twitter or Facebook wants to, that's his business. And it's each of our own business to decide who to believe and who not to believe and who to challenge and who to accept. Like I say, some random guy on Facebook could be lying, could be telling the truth, but we know the liberals lie. But you know, I actually gave them some real advice. So if you actually say it louder, we've learned that happens. If you repeat it, if you say it louder, if that is your talking point, people will totally believe it. That was like the first time he played a clip, like almost like right back to back. <laughs> but like the thing that's so stupid there is like, what constitutes reporting on Rebel News? Because they don't really write articles. No. Their articles are just summaries of the stupid fucking podcast that we listen to. Yeah. And so he's saying that they've never reported on these, these rumors at West Point. Now, what they did do was ask Trudeau during the debate question period they proposed those questions to him and then talked about it on their fucking show. And now here he is bringing it up again, going, I'm not going to like engage in the rumors because they that would like hurt questions. my credibility. Yet you're the only fucking people talking about it. <laughs> and you're talking about it on a segment about fucking disinformation. <laughs> he spends this whole segment talking about how the media is lying about these disinformation campaigns, all while he's engaging in a disinformation campaign, and then says, because of this, the liberals will eventually craft a censorship legislation. Hmm. So he's doing this segment with with no evidence that like censorship legislation is in fact coming. He's just like inciting fear into his. Yeah, he's saying this is audience. the next step, right? It was such a weird segment. <laughs> And then, of course, uh, he gets to the interview section of the show, and we have Rebel News regular, Breitbart editor, techno-optimist, homeless people have cell phones. We've got Joel Pollack on the show, and he begins (laughs) by doing something that Joel Pollack always does. Or movement. So people thought, is this going to (laughs) fight terrorism? And Obama proved a lot of that criticism wrong with the decision, and it was a bold one, to authorize the raid on bin Laden. I'm not even listening to what he's saying. I'm just waiting for his phone to go off. It, yeah, well, I mean, this segment, it was so lame. Like, it, it was basically, the whole segment was them complaining about the fact that 
no one is giving Trump the credit for killing this al-Baghdadi person. Oh, the leader and, of ISIS. Yeah, yeah, and that Obama got all the credit for Osama and blah, 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 blah. So, like, it was just really fucking stupid. But it's just the fact that every time Joe Pollock is on Ezra's show, he leaves his cell phone on, and it beeps the whole fucking time. <laughs> and it's so distracting. And it's like, why would you do this? The, the other thing that was annoying that Joel lied about is Joel said that Trump gave Obama credit for the killing of Osama bin Laden. And I didn't grab this clip, but anyone can go find it. I think it was on like Seth Meyers uh, show last week is Seth Meyers dug up a clip of Trump saying that Obama doesn't deserve credit for Hmm, (laughs) the thing. So those clips exist. So he just outright lies about what, what Trump said. Yeah, of course. On October 30th, in this episode, the first half is about Quebec passing a values test for immigrants. This came out recently. And Ezra's main complaint is that the media is not mad at Quebec for this. Uh, yet they were mad at Maxime when he made similar claims. Like, that seems to be his his main issue. And I'm like, whatever. I read plenty of pieces that were criticizing Quebec for doing this, so I don't even know what he's talking about. Uh and it's basically a whole segment that's just more anti-immigration, anti-Islamic stuff, and I'm not going to play it. Okay. So then <laughs> then he gets to the guest segment, and uh, we haven't heard this guest in a while. In fact, the last time, the last time we had him on uh, the show, he was promoting the idea that leftists wanted cannibalism to prevent global oh, warming. Yes. So, <laughs> so we got Mark Moreno on the show, and this time he's arguing that the protests that are currently happening in Chile are actually the result of socialist green policies, such as new electric buses that increased transit fares. And the only information that I can find that makes this claim is the former minister of transportation named Paola Tabia has made this claim, and that's it. And this conflicts with the justifications uh, given by the uh, committee that determines (laughs) these rates, which is that it has to do with like currency fluctuations and and other stuff, right? Uh, the other thing is the, the current government is the National Renewal Party, which is a center-right party. So he's claiming that somehow this is a socialist problem when, no, it's a right-wing problem. And even the previous government, which was called the Socialist Party of Chile, is in reality a center-left party. They're not socialists really? yeah, in the way okay. that we think of socialists. Uh, in fact, the last time there was a legit socialist party in Chile was back in the 1970s with Salvador Allende before he was then deposed, leading to the uh, implementation of a fascist like Augusto Pinochet, who killed a lot of the leftists in the country. So, <laughs> if anything, that the problem there is right-wing fascism, not uh, socialism. Uh, and also, Chile, Chile was uh, practicing ground for the neoliberal policies yeah. uh, that were then pushed through by Augusto Pinochet. So, neoliberalism is the problem. If I do say so myself. Well, so, that's why they're protesting. Yeah, that is exactly <laughs> that, why they're it's protesting. It's very clear in their messaging. <laughs> and it has more to do with, like, it's not just the fares. Like, that's the other thing that annoys me is that the fares were just like the, the straw the that broke the camel's back. It's the movement of deregulation and privatization. And increasing of, poverty. Yeah. Well, well, that's what ends up happening when you have a government that's continuously deregulating businesses and privatizing things that really should be in public control of governments, right? Like bus should be free. 
taking yeah. transit should be free. You should be subsidizing that as that is an essential need to get places and to do things. And that's always been seen as a public good. But when you privatize these things and you make it more of a profit, just like how earlier we're talking about universities, it causes people's life chances to be worse and worse and worse and further them into poverty. And also you're going to see intergenerational poverty. Yeah. So you're going to see it not just... Um, for yourself, but it's going to be worse off chances for future generations. And that's why people are getting upset. That's why we're seeing more people being more active and involved than I think we have in years because the situation is just not sustainable anymore. And I and think it it's really great. With socialism. No, <laughs> it's, it it's with everything to do yeah. yeah, with the free market and this promotion of we need governments to have less interference with yep. business and corporations. And I think it's fantastic what they're doing in Chile. So do I. Yeah. Keep it up. Then that's that day. So there wasn't much to cover. But uh, on October 31st, then Ezra decides, uh, decided he was going to talk about uh, someone magical. Yo, Taylor. I I'm really happy for you. I'm going to let you finish. But Beyonce had one of the best videos of all time. <laughs> So we're going to be talking about Kanye West. <laughs> well, actually, we're not going to be talking much. This is going to be like a, such a data because like when I first saw the clip appear and like the title of the episode was like Kanye finds Jesus and the left doesn't know how to handle it. And I'm like, we're going to be talking about Kanye. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and I was prepared that this was going to be the main segment. We're going to like dig in there. And really, it was the weirdest fucking show because like what he does is... Uh, he, he basically, he, he, Kanye had appeared on James Corden. James Corden does like a late night show. Yeah. He's yeah. famous for doing the carpool karaoke. Yeah. So the segment that he has on with Kanye is they do like carpool karaoke, but on an airplane. And in between songs that they do, uh, at, like Corden asks some questions and they have like an interview. And the thing is, Ezra pretty much plays the whole thing okay. of the James Corden show. Instead and of then, just telling us to go listen to right. it ourselves. And then, yeah. so plays the clips and then would come in and instead of giving any like thoughtful explanation, he'll be like, isn't that awesome? Isn't Kanye great? Like, look what he's doing. And there was like nothing to like dissect there other than to be like, great, you think Kanye is awesome now because he's religious. Like, I... <laughs> And, and the thing that, like, bothers me, too, is, like, I almost feel like James Corden should, like, put a copyright strike. Because, like, I mean, because here's the thing. We're a clip show. But, like, I've made an effort. I, have, I think the longest clip that I played, and we didn't play it in its entirety. We, like, spliced it out. It was two minutes. And, like, we we talk way more than we play, like, his yeah, clips. Yeah, yeah. But good he, thing. he gets away with just, like, playing basically this whole James Corden segment and comes in just to be like, yeah, that's cool. Isn't that cool? <laughs> and not only that, so then he plays the James Corden thing, and then he plays clips from this interview that Kanye did with a guy named Big Boy. And that was like, all the clips that you've heard from Kanye being crazy this week came from that segment. So he he advocated things like uh, that the problem with the black community is fatherlessness. And basically, he's becoming the new Bill Cosby. <laughs> all this stuff and about how like the democratic party is a plantation and yeah so anyways kanye is saying crazy kanye stuff i mean he also said that people chose slavery yeah i mean that wasn't done in this clip but that okay. was 
something that he has yeah. said in the past. And he has said some things that are weird about the 13th Amendment and people have been going back and forth on. And it seems like his objection is not the abolition of slavery, obviously. Uh, well, maybe it's not obvious. For yeah, Kanye, but... I'm not sure. <laughs> but like his argument is sort of that like in within that amendment also allowed for the sort of like legal imprisonment of black people that then basically created a a, a form of slavery through prison labor and like yeah. other stuff which i can agree with and why like the one good thing that kanye does is working with his wife to uh try to well now she's trying to become a lawyer yeah just for that specific issue and to try, try to promote i mean at least like if i mean there's nothing good that comes out of the trump administration but if you can get someone like kim kardashian to convince him to release prisoners that should be released then hey i'll take it you yeah. know uh so again i'm like it's just it's just a bunch of uh crazy stuff but he the only thing that i want to play by ezra is him sort of like navigating the politics uh, celebrities being into politics thing which is an interesting philosophical question but of course ezra is an idiot should we really pay too much attention to what he says, though, my rule of thumb is no. Whenever I inquire too deeply into the politics of musicians or actors, I'm usually grossed out, and it makes it hard for me to enjoy their music or their movies anymore. I used to love Alec Baldwin in Glen Gary, Glen Ross. What a great movie, but I just can't watch him anymore without thinking of his insane Trump derangement syndrome. <laughs> but something interesting has happened to Kanye West. He went very Trumpy. A few years back, he wore that red Make America Great Again hat. He met Trump, started talking about how blacks are still slaves to the Democrats. That ruffled a lot of feathers in the celebrity left, which is 99% of showbiz. Kanye West's wife, who is also smarter than she looks, has worked with Trump on substantive issues, including on prison reform, including getting commuted prison terms. For some prisoners. I, I just have to say that dig that she looks, she's smarter than she looks, just feeds into the sexist, creepy narrative that we have oh, going yeah, on with Ezra. Total weirdo. He begins the clip by framing it as like, I don't want my celebrities engaging in politics because it turns me off of them. But it's clear by the end of the segment that what he's saying is, I only like it when my celebrities mm, engage in the politics that I like. I disagree. I think what he's trying to say is that 99% of celebrities are leftist and he's kind of saying finally we have one person to like champion the right well, in the celebrity world so i don't think he's saying i don't like it when celebrities engage i think he's just saying that there's they're all biased and they all like are left-wing and like finally we have this one solo well i think you're right i mean like that is definitely why you're seeing all these people like kanye and trying to promote him because like Finally, we have like someone who and it's Kanye West yeah, out of all people too, right? So. Someone who has an effect on the culture because we'll have to admit that Kanye does have a non-negligible effect on the culture. Uh, is someone who is promoting Trump and stuff like that, and so of course they're going to latch onto him. But there is this sense that you always hear from the right wing, which is that whenever uh, a celebrity does speak out, they're like, "Are." Oh, why can't they just like play their music? Like that was a big thing with the Dixie Chicks when they spoke out against George Bush and the war in Iraq. Mm. Everyone turned against them and be like, why can't they just play their music? Why don't they just shut up and sing? I just want to hear the music and not have to hear their politics. And so like that's the constant refrain. But of course, 
that the issue is that what they're really upset about is the politics that are held by the people where it's like of course if it was a right-wing person saying right-wing stuff they would have no complaints which is they don't have any complaints about kanye now even though i wouldn't hold too much stock in where he'll be in the next (laughs) five years because this guy just goes on a he's a, a journey he's he's been on this track before and of course goes back and forth and uh the last thing I want to say about Kanye, because it's annoying, is his turn towards Jesus that is happening. Recently on, I guess, the... Uh, what's the show? Keeping Up with the Kardashians? Yeah. So I guess recently on the show, I don't watch that show. This is what I've heard from the media that I consume. Is he said things about him not liking the way that Kardashian dresses? Like... Because she shows skin and it's tight-fitting. So since he's become Jesus-infused, he now has an issue with the way that his wife looks and almost wants her to cover up. And she reacted, uh, which I think in an awesome way, going like, I'm glad you're going on this journey, but like, I'm not in the same wavelength as you, so like, fuck off, basically. Yeah. And, and he backed off and like, whatever. But the interesting thing is, like, that's something that Ezra wouldn't talk about. And part of that is, like, he spends his whole time talking in, in several clips uh, that I didn't play of referring to the niqab as a body bag and, like, other stuff. But, of course, here he is praising Kanye, and now Kanye is saying that he wants women to dress a specific way. Yeah. Because now, because of his religious beliefs, women have to show some kind of modesty that he deems acceptable within his view of what Christianity means. And, of course, that's something that he doesn't want to bring up because of the contradiction. But it's something that is, is always inherent in this, which I brought up earlier, which is that the, the far-right Christians and uh, Islam, uh, Muslims are closer than, than people like to think, especially those who are it's either far-right extreme, Christian yeah. or Islamist. Right? So that's well, <laughs> the only other thing that I want to point out, which is just funny about Ezra, is he says that he's going to go through some of Kanye's new music. And so one of the clips that they play, well, basically the only song that Ezra plays from the James Corden show is a version of Jesus Walks. And Ezra talks about it as if it's like one of his new songs. <laughs> because like, and this is like uh, belies the absurdity of the whole thing, which is that Ezra never cared about Kanye's yeah, music. Yeah. So he doesn't know that this song is almost so 20 old. years old. <laughs> so <laughs> he just knows that it's a song that says jesus and he knows the new album like he probably hasn't even listened to the new album to know that this song is not on the new yeah album, right uh so it's clear that he's just hopping on this bandwagon as a grift and all the far-right personalities have done it so alex jones talked about kanye and well alex jones in particular has been jumping on it because uh Kanye West says he's not going Alex Jones level and somehow Alex Jones took that as a compliment and, and I, part of it is probably because Kanye knows of his existence so maybe that like means something but really what Kanye was saying is like I'm not crazy I'm not Alex Jones level yet <laughs> so <laughs> if anything it was like a insulting insult. yeah uh, but yeah so it's every right wing grifter has jumped on the of course yeah pro Kanye thing and as someone, so here's, if I can admit to the universe, I am a Kanye fan. Gross. I love, Yeezus is one of my favorite albums ever. I fucking love that album. My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, also an amazing album. But this new album sucks. 
it's just a terrible fucking album. <laughs> like even for like there's maybe two tracks on it where I'm like, those are some decently produced beats. The rest of it is just him saying Jesus over and over again. That's weird. Yeah. And they, so there's no swearing on the album, just weird for a Kanye West album. There's uh he made claims that all the guest spots had to be celibate during the recording of the album. Uh <laughs> And it and the weird part is like, so if you know anything about Kanye's music, it's very vulgar, yeah. in your face, all that stuff. And even there was an album that he was making called Yandi that was supposed to drop. So he did uh, Yay, which was his last album before this new one. And then he said that he was going to do Yandi, but it never came out. And then he released this album. But in between, Yandi like leaked uh like sort of like these demo versions and there's a song on there uh on the leaked yandi which was again it's like less than a year old when that album leaked when he was working on it that had lyrics like i want to tit fuck i want to get my dick sucked like all these things and then not even a year later he's now like i can't have swearing on my album i'm like no sex be celibate like and it's so that's why like to me like this is clearly something that's probably transient and who knows, like in another year, he could be like, I'm all about the drug culture. And like he's on to like the next thing. Uh, so all these conservatives that are latching onto him now, just like, I'm warning you, he's going to be somewhere else. <laughs> you just give it a, a give it a, another year and he'll be off the Jesus kick and, and somewhere else. But, but yeah, the new album sucks. Just going to put it out there. Then... The interview section is Lauren Gunter, and I don't oh want to talk God. about Lauren Gunter. <laughs> every the, week. And I've never, like, dug it. Lauren Gunter is the one who's appeared every week, I'm pretty sure. There might have been, like, one week where he Every hasn't. week. And the whole thing is just about Alberta separating, which is, like, cool. Separate already. I don't Please leave. Shit. And he says nothing of interest, so whatever. But I still haven't done, like, a background check into him. I'm curious. He's, like... Because he still writes for, I think, the, the Sun. Okay. So he's still someone who publishes on a Canadian newspaper. But I don't know. Screw him. <laughs> so we're now finally on November 1st, which was the Friday. And in this episode, Ezra is complaining that there's this group of veterans who are traveling to China on a friendship mission sent by Trudeau. And Ezra is upset about this because, one, the Chinese are communists. And two, they have two Canadian hostages. And so, one, China is not communist. They call themselves communists, but if you want to dig into, like, economics... It's not. It's not really. But, like, whatever. If we, to fight the nuances there, I'm not going to bother. I'll just say that they're not communists, and you have to take my word for it or not. I don't care. And then... <laughs> and the cases of the two arrests are kind of complicated. So they're charged with espionage. And a lot of people agree that that's probably not the case in fact most of the consensus seems to be that these two arrests were in retaliation to the canadians arresting uh meng wanzhou who is one of the hens of huawei uh, canada arrested them based on an indictment that was put forward uh, by the americans and so there's a huge complicated mess going on there and her trial is due on january 2020 in january 2020 and a lot of this will probably start getting worked out then we'll see how that that goes with the espionage case uh and so part of it is ezra is saying it's weak to send this group over there because we should be tough on china to get our hostages back and all this fun stuff 
but I'm thinking like it's a friendship mission, which is supposed to like spur on some sort of like diplomatic relations to improve that divide. And if that helps like make China more amenable to us in some way or like whatever, like I don't see it as that big of an issue if it possibly helps release these two people who I agree are probably innocently uh, in prison. Okay. But the other thing is no one is reporting on this. And I tried so hard to find any information about this friendship mission. Couldn't find a single thing. Anyway. Does it exist? I I, I don't know that is it exists. Is he just making it up? He could just be making the whole thing up. <laughs> <laughs> I have no clue. Which is believable. So if anyone has any information, let me know. But like I search. I'm like, friendship mission. This veterans. Like secret... Canadian military. China. Nothing. There's, no, there's, there's not even like a government website saying that this thing is happening. So it's like, where did you get this information from? Uh, and I wonder if this is something that he just invented. Yeah. Or heard. Sounds about right. And I mean, most of the things he's talked about throughout this week that you've been discussing but, with me are made up stories. So. But at least they've had like a connection to reality. All right. So the interview segment of this episode, Ezra has on this guy who's going to file a private prosecution against Trudeau for the SNC-Lavalin scandal. Okay. And so part of the episode is just laying out the groundwork that there is this thing called a private prosecution in Canada. And again, I'm not a lawyer, so it sounds legit, but I have no way of sort of like parsing that for sure. And part of it is, Ezra is saying, is that this guy has been successful in similar cases by filing these private prosecutions. And so there's a chance that he might succeed with mm-hmm. doing this against Trudeau, but probably not because it's Trudeau and blah, 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 conspiracy theories. But here's the interesting thing about this guy is that his name is Gary McHale. And he's someone who's known for uh, agitating against the Six Nations of the Grand River near Caledonia. And so there was a like a huge land dispute that occurred there especially I want to say it was like 15 or some odd years ago, early 2000s. And you had the uh, indigenous people blocking roadways and like locals were like really pissed off that this was happening. And apparently McHale was this guy who like led the white counter protests against these indigenous people and tried to like rip down their flags and hang up Canadian flags and like, basically caused a nuisance such that the police were getting more mad at him than they were at the indigenous protesters. Okay. And because of the conflicts that he was raising, it cost the taxpayers an extra $500,000 to deal with the like disruptions that he was causing. It also actually uh, led to him being arrested several times by the police for attacking native protesters and interfering with police work to, to peacefully deal with the land dispute. He's also uh, been investigated for trying to extort uh, indigenous businesses in the area, like other stuff. So this guy is just like a really interesting character. And so when, when Ezra says that he won one of his court cases, the best that I can find is that one of his private prosecutions that he brought against the RCMP for what he called harassment during this thing, that he says he was harassed by the police when it was clear that he's engaged in some shitty behavior himself, the police didn't respond to one of the subpoenas, and that's the case that basically got dismissed. So, I mean, he won in the sense that he got money from the government because the police didn't respond to the subpoena or something like that. So, 
take that <laughs> or leave it. But uh, it was just interesting that he has this guy on his show. Uh, because he's clearly someone who actively engages in shitty behavior against the indigenous population. And that's the, the one thing that Ezra I've been surprised about in doing this podcast yeah. is most of the time he's said nothing but positive things about the indigenous population. And I've always said, said it with a kind of like distancing, which is that I knew he probably held anti-indigenous positions. But it, and, and the only reason he was bringing it up was likely because he could use it as a cudgel against Trudeau, right? Uh, but of course, like, he probably, we, we weren't around covering the Wet'suwet'en incident. And my guess is he, Wet'suwet'en, for those who, who don't know, sorry, I got to fill this in, was there was a pipeline that was being built, the GasLink pipeline, I think it was. And there was a, it was running through indigenous territory that a group of people, uh, of the indigenous activists didn't want the pipeline going through their territory and therefore created blocks. And eventually the RCMP went in there and forcefully removed their barriers and arrested them. And it became a huge thing. Yeah. Uh, I ended up in engaging in a protest where we, we marched and uh, yeah, blocked we both some were roads. There. And, hmm? We both were there. Oh, you were there too. Okay. Yeah. It was freezing cold. I barely remember anything. Yeah. We carried a thing together. We did? Yeah. What did we care? Because I, I was so, only holding... So typical Jody. I was only holding the sign by myself. Or maybe we just walked side by side. Maybe. I know. Like, I, I drove we, you to it. Listen, I'm I old. I drove you to it. That's not an excuse for your early 30s. Oh my god. I can't. I have the only person I remember is Patty. Because she was like... Because she did not dress appropriately, so she was like shaking and freezing. Yeah, and I remember Tina being there because afterwards we went. You were there because afterwards we went for I'm glad dinner you with Tina. Tina, yeah. yeah, okay. No, I remember now. <laughs> Asshole. But anyways, like uh, my guess is that Ezra would not be in support of the wet sweating protests because they're blocking a pipeline. Uh, but again, we. We've only had to deal with Ezra for the past two months. And for him, the indigenous issues like Grassy Narrows were always a way that he could criticize Trudeau and look like the good guy. But here it is. Clearly, he has this guy on his show who's a complete asshole. I think it's fair to say he's a complete yeah, asshole. Yeah, sounds like one. And, uh, and that's it. you have heard so far please give us a few bucks over on patreon.com slash imperial news and if you want to stay informed about what we're doing you can also find us on twitter at imperial news with a z where i'm i've been yelling at anti-vaxxers and libertarians today <laughs> Fun stuff. yeah uh, we have a private facebook group called imperial news we also have a discord set up and the discord has been pretty active so uh you can join that we can post memes and have fun and you can find the link uh, over on our Twitter account. I will also eventually be using Twitch, although I've been super busy, and so that hasn't really been an option. But uh, the link to that is also, I think, on our Twitter. But it's, the username is Imperial News. And lastly, you can email us any questions at imperial.fake.news at gmail.com, and I will get to some of them at the end of each show if we have any questions. I would also like to thank my friend Mason Tickle 
who provided the Star Wars-inspired transition beats nice. on the episode. And I saw Mason last night at a Halloween party, which was pretty cool. And I thanked him because it was the first time I saw him in person since he gave us the beats. Yeah. And so it's very kind of him to do that. And uh, he also has an album out. It came out a couple Tuesdays ago. You can find it at the striatum, striatum, striatum.com or striatum.bandcamp.com. It's uh, it's pretty cool. So check that out. And uh, thank you for listening. And I don't really have anyone to insult this week. Who? who t- <laughs> Fuck Ezra or Kanye. You know what? Fuck Kanye. Fuck you, Kanye. You piece of shit. Fuck you, Jody, for forgetting I was at a protest <laughs> with you. There we go. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Homeless people in LA have smartphones. <laughs>